This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. First of all, I want to mention the Hey Queeros Patreon. Many of you have already subscribed at heyqueeros.com slash Patreon, and I so appreciate the support. We are paying Sierra with Patreon money. Also, I am teaching a stand-up class via Zoom to support Dynasty Typewriter, my favorite venue here in LA where I usually perform. We got to keep them afloat during this ridiculous time. And so you can join a class for Sundays starting October 11th. It's at 2 p.m. Pacific. It's on the internet. I will probably never do this again. Why would you not join this class? Also today on the podcast, Niall DeMarco, winner of America's Next Top Model. I think winner of Dancing with the Stars. Also a deaf person who is making a bunch of shit, like so much, not a bunch of shit. That's the wrong thing to say. Making a bunch of awesome product. Deaf You comes out on Netflix. I've seen the trailer. It looks amazing. I will definitely be watching. Also, the reason I, I, I'm hardly able to form sentences because this person is very attractive. I just finished the interview. I'm like the sweatiest I've ever been. Please enjoy this conversation with Niall DeMarco. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still I always have guests introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Niall DeMarco. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm deaf. I'm an actor, an advocate, uh, kind of all of the above. Yeah, I guess you are all of the above. You currently have like nine projects. <laughs> I got an email <laughs> yeah. about what you're up to. It's very long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I, I'm definitely wearing a lot of hats these days. You know, um, I'm having a great time playing around. It's funny, just five years ago, I would have never imagined being in the position that I am. But honestly, I'm so more than happy to to shoulder it and to be able to develop, you know, projects and content and TV shows about deaf people. It's great. Right. I, I think that's part of what I wanted to ask you about is that I first became aware of you on America's Next Top Model. Right, where, right. where I know that, I mean, obviously being deaf impacts working on that show, but also to be a model is maybe something where, well, I don't know the experience, you know, how much, how much is this new role that is sort of more focused on like a sort of mental expression versus like a physical expression. And this is just, I'm not a model. This is just my vague understanding of modeling. But it does seem like you've Definitely. shifted in terms of your focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, quite, a big, uh, quite a big shift. But really what happened <laughs> uh, was America's Next Top Model um, you know, came to me and I really thought it was going to be kind of a one-time thing. I, I really was planning on going back and teaching math, which was my original career goal. 
But it became pretty apparent early on. And I will admit, before that, I had never watched America's Next Top Model. So I didn't really realize how big of a show it truly was. But after the America's Next Top Model experience, I was like, oh, shit, there's no way for me to go back. It was just straightforward into the industry. And, you know, that that transition happened really quickly for modeling. Um, you know, and of course, I was thrilled. You know, I would I would do a few really great jobs through the year and, and I enjoyed it. But I also felt very limited and I, I didn't really feel so connected with the work. Um, hmm. You know, as much as how people see uh, deaf people in the world, I realized with this platform, it was really key for me to use it and to leverage it you know, to the deaf community's advantage and to really try to reframe the deaf community in uh, sort of the, the hearing limelight. And yeah, that's where the tr- transition started. Well, I can't remember then, w- prior to being on that show, I can't remember if, well, also it's a reality show. So whoever knows what's going on. But prior to being on the show, right. were you working in the modeling industry? I do get asked that a lot. Um, during college, a lot of people had reached out to me and, you know, uh, new photographers or um, people had, had just kind of reached out and said modeling could be something that, that could really fit you. And I didn't really understand what the business or the industry looked like. Um, I actually didn't know that there were modeling agencies and, uh, you know, that certain models were represented. I just didn't really know. I was going to school in D.C. at the time. And obviously, D.C. is not quite a fashion capital by any means. Um, but I never really realized what the pursuit sort of would entail. And then after college, when people were telling me that I absolutely had to give it a shot. I mean, I played around with a few test shoots and some of my friends who were photographers, but, you know, America's Next Top Model really was the biggest impact when the casting director reached out to me on Instagram. I mean, you know, they said, hey, we we think you should try out for this show. We think you'd be a really good fit. The first time I saw it, I was like... (laughs) That's definitely a scam, but (laughs) turns out it wasn't. I mean, they were really interested in seeing me on the show, and I guess the rest is history. But, you know, point being, um, you know, I I was very inexperienced before coming into the show, yeah. Well, and I want to ask about that because I know you went to uh, Gallaudet University, which is a university that's for deaf or hearing people. I also know that it's, It's a university where there are two languages, English, but ASL is also an official language on campus. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, You know, Gallaudet's campus itself is a bilingual campus in in every respect. Absolutely. Um, But on campus, we use American Sign Language as our first language. um, And that's really kind of the culture that's taught, um, you know, written English and and read English. Of course, we use just the same. Yeah. So it definitely is a a bilingual campus for sure. Um, And the college is for deaf and hard of students. Um, of or deaf and hard of hearing students, of course. Um, but there is a percentage of hearing students who are able to get in to the college. Um, and it just really depends on the requirements of knowing ASL. Got it. And then you're, you personally are also from a family where you're part of, are you fourth generation? Is that what I read? I am. Yeah. I'm fourth generation. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've got a big uh, deaf family. Uh, it's funny, a lot of people actually think that, you know, it was a really unfortunate experience and fourth generation deaf must mean that I really had to struggle, you know, through all these horrible, oppressive times. But it actually really works in our favor. Um, you know, it's very comparative 
uh, to hearing kids with hearing parents, right? I mean, there are many deaf kids out there who, uh, you know, come to, uh, you know, deaf kids who come to hearing parents and, and definitely struggle with communication at home. Um, you know, but for me, I had access to language and, you know, uh, communication. I mean, my whole family was deaf. So it was, it was really a celebration. You know, they already knew what to do. I was, uh, you know, immediately enrolled in a deaf school and picked up sign as my first language. And, yeah, I mean, that really was my childhood and, and, and my whole world. So many people really are shocked to hear that it's, you know, utopia for me. Do you have siblings? I do, I do. Um, so I have two brothers. Um, if you can believe this, I'm actually a twin. Oh, <laughs> um, right. But funny right. enough, he doesn't look anything like me. He's got red hair, fair skin, freckles. Um, a lot of people think that we're just best friends. They don't actually recognize us as twins. Um, but yeah, both of my brothers are deaf as well. So I'm imagining then that, well, what was it like interacting? It's your family and then the rest of the world who, by and large, does not sign, um, is not fluent in ASL. And I would imagine that that might be equivalent to like some immigrant experiences where you move into an area where there aren't other folks, but you know, you're not arriving right, definitely. here. You're, you're just... And you're also, and there's also the lineage right. of being the fourth generation um, family. And certainly that is equivalent, like I said, in other languages. There are other people who are, you know, fourth generation Americans and they speak primarily with their family one language and then a language outside. But what was that like for you in terms of inside the family and then this, the sort of system or, or climate around you? Sure, sure. Very similar to uh, the immigrant ex experience. I, I often use that as a as an anecdote. Look at me like a foreigner, right? And that American Sign Language is just a different way to communicate, right? Um, lucky for me, you know, growing up in uh, in a family where I was um, the fourth generation, you know, uh, all Sicilian New Yorkers, and luckily in New York, everyone uses their hands. I mean, gesture is such a part of kind of who we are as New Yorkers. Um, my mother actually, you know, went to a deaf school. Uh, you know, so she came out with a lot of experiences, you know, in the hearing community. And, um, you know, my mother often would uh, go to Studio 54 in New York, actually. She uh, is a big dancer, used to go there all the time, and is very, very, very good with interacting with hearing people. So when we were kids, of course, my mom was, you know, very much sort of that bridge, right? She kind of, uh, you know, taught us how to, you know, work and interact with hearing people. My, my mom always really pushed uh, her kids to play on hearing leagues, to play sports. And, you know, when, of course, we would always ask, like, why are we playing with these hearing kids? She'd say, well, at some point you have to learn how to interact with them. And now, looking back at that experience, I'm incredibly grateful for what that gave me, right? I never really felt a big difference, you know, between hearing people and deaf people. I really more or less felt that hearing people just spoke a different language. You know, they were kind of a foreigner. I was kind of a foreigner. Um, you know, all of our uh, close friends in the neighborhood were all hearing. So it, it really was an interesting experience, certainly. Um, and that, of course, contributed to my experience on America's Next Top Model. And now with my career in the industry, 90% of the people that I work with live in the hearing world. So, you know, yeah. for the first 25 years of my life, things were, you know, very different, but of course, really impacted that. I'm so thankful, you know, but I definitely wasn't sheltered by any means. Well, sports, that makes so much sense. I mean, it's a great idea, especially because... I mean, right, literally, right. baseball has signs. <laughs> um, what, what sports did you play? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, to be honest with you, I, I played just about everything I could. Um, you know, baseball. There's actually a really interesting history, uh, of, you know, dating back to, uh, you know, the sign for strike or, you know, to ball or, you know, to all, all the different gestures. 
And those were actually created years ago uh, by a deaf baseball player. His name was Dummy Hoy. Um, and he was the first deaf baseball player who ever made it professional in the 1800s. And uh, when he got into the pro leagues, he couldn't communicate with people. And so they developed a, essentially a, a system of hand signs or hand signals. And the rest is history. Now we see that, you know, those hand signals have made it to all sorts of other sports. That's how we communicate across fields. And yeah. all because of a deaf person. Well, I was, I was also reading that Gallaudet is where the football huddle originated. Yeah, because yeah. folks were signing and needed just for anybody listening that that um doesn't yeah, know like that, that um, didn't want anybody to be able to folks see were signing and they didn't want people to see the signs, uh, right, right, yeah. Um, against uh, playing, you know, against another deaf football team. Obviously, if you know you're communicating in sign language across the football field, you can see, you know, if, uh, across the football field, you can see exactly what the other team is planning for. So that's where the huddle was invented. And, you know, I, I don't know why hearing people thought it was a great idea, but, you know, I guess they really love it. Now you see it on TV every Sunday. Right. I mean, I think, I think it, um, I mean, maybe it also just is that thing of, you know, feeling protective in like you're part of a group, which again would be, would make so much sense why your mom would suggest that. Like it, it makes perfect sense. And I also am curious now that I'm like realizing, because I just said that we're listening, do do you interact with podcasts? You personally, as a human, um, to be honest with you, it's it's kind of another thing. Um, so podcasts are typically just done through spoken English and with and with voice. Um, a lot of them yes. do provide uh, transcripts, which are pretty extensive, and you know, occasionally I'm happy to to pull one up and and give it a read through. But it's not the same experience as it would be, you know, to listening to a conversation. Uh, you know, if there were podcasts uh, with, you know, say, sign interpreting or, um, you know, something that I could essentially listen to through my eyes, I think I'd be a lot more comfortable and I, I might even be a fan. But yeah, I'll take it anyway. But, you know, to yeah. be honest with you, I, I don't have any favorite podcasts that really come to mind. That makes perfect sense. I mean, I don't I will say I do not think it is a an art that is accessible. Like, I just don't think that it's something that folks are focused on making it accessible for deaf or hard hearing folks. And I will even say as a comic, right. you know, um, a lot of times when I've provided an ASL interpreter, which I've done many times, it usually comes per a request, which again is something that like I could continue to work on. Um, but it is, it is the onus right. is on the deaf or hard of hearing person to send me some random tweet or to get in touch through my management or right. whoever's booking the show. And that has happened many times, but like what a fucking bummer to have to constantly work to be accommodated. Right. Right. Definitely. Definitely. You know, it's, it's always a matter of, of reaching out, um, you know, but it's just so become a part of a part of what it is. You know, we oftentimes wish, wish accessibility would just come to us. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny, uh, actually, for, um, you know, Trump's, you know, large meetings and and for his large rallies, you know, he he doesn't provide interpreters. And so a group actually sued the White House. And finally, um, they are putting access and transcripts up live. Wow. Took a lawsuit. And that makes so much sense, too, that, that, that it would be important to, I mean, to read what he's saying, that specifically that person versus being able to um, see what he's saying, comprehend what he's saying in a visual format. Like that is so, it's just so impactful. His presence is so impactful 
in a negative way, <laughs> but, but, but it's, it's part of it. <laughs> Definitely. You're absolutely yeah. right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, honestly, he, you know, downplayed the whole thing, right? And continued to, you know, deprive millions and millions of deaf Americans, you know, of their access to participate in the democratic system and, and to vote. I mean, it's just wild. Do you think there, is there any, is there anybody, is there any, um, art form or like, who's doing a good job with this? Is there anybody doing a good job making things accessible for you? Hmm. Like just in general? Hmm. Let me think. Yeah. I mean, now that like, cause I guess now that you're saying it, I'm like, question. this feels like it would always be on you. You know, like I just, I can't think of right. something. And I, I thought maybe you had that like magic yeah. thing. You're like, this person's nailing it. Same. Yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely a constant. Um, you know, it, it's constant, constantly a lack of access. Um, but yeah, I can't think of anyone specifically. Wow. I mean, I've, I, I will, for, so for, I, my partner is, uh, she has an autoimmune disease that affects her energy level and affects her ability to get around. Um, she also... And she can use, um, sometimes she uses walking sticks like as a, as an aid. Um, but the particular ones that she uses, they, they're hiking sticks. So I think it can look like, I think it can look like right. other stuff's going on. Right. Like, right. and then she also vis visually, you know, she's one of those people who doesn't necessarily look like she's dealing with something. Right. And, um, it's been really eye opening, um, being yeah, definitely. with her, Very traveling common. with her. That's so you know, much a part of our general community, you know, of disability is, is, you know, really just an invisible disability. Definitely. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. I mean, like, for instance, we board planes first. I mean, in a time when we would fly, we're not flying now, but in a time that we would fly the section where you're, where they ask who would like to board planes first, like we go up at that time she actually does need right. extra time to get on, but we look like two, um, able-bodied people in our thirties and sometimes she'll be in a wheelchair to get on and sometimes she won't. And it is, um, like we were going through customs traveling internationally right. and have been waiting for so long. It's oh, funny that you, you it's funny that you mentioned that there's so many invisible disabilities, right? There's visible yes. and of course there's invisible disabilities. And it's like you mentioned, right? You look like two normal able-bodied people in their thirties. I mean, you know, people look at me and they, they don't even, they have no idea, right? They don't know until they try to communicate with me. The same thing with your partner. There's a lot of that. Well, what about you and dating? Just generally, do you, have you often dated people who are also deaf? Have you often dated people who are hearing? Well, uh, I've definitely dated uh, a lot of deaf people, but that was really prior to finding my career uh, in the entertainment industry. Um, you know, I was really a part of the deaf community, of course. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't against dating a hearing person, but it just was a lot easier to date somebody who, who signed. I mean, I've, I've definitely dated uh, a few hearing people who knew ASL, which makes things easier. Um, but after, you know, finding my place in, in Los Angeles, uh, you know, 90% of the people who live here are hearing. So, um, you know, I, I tend to, to date around more hearing people, I should say. It does make it a little bit more complicated when they don't know sign language because, uh, you know, dating essentially becomes building a foundation of a language, right? Versus really getting to know someone. So, you know, I feel like it's a little bit of a, of a side, a little bit of a bummer. Yeah. 
My little sister is married to a man it's... who, when they met, she, um, my little sister is married to a man who, when they met, she was only spoke, well, she spoke some Spanish. She's primarily spoke English and he spoke a very small bit of English and mostly Spanish. And now their household is a mostly Spanish speaking household and she's fluent and he, his English is very good now too. And I will say that, um, I think that gap is something that like, you know, you hear about in terms of a romance novel or my little sister's life. Um, but it seems different even than ASL, which I think we don't talk about as much as a language. So English and Spanish, oh, like how sexy she had to learn Spanish. She had to learn English, but I don't know if we commodify or, um, or talk about the difference between. Definitely. And I think, you know, truly like the point of that is culture, right? You know, Spanish, um, you know, I would say is, is pretty, you know, broadly known, um, out there, but I think it's also really tied to many different cultures, which is incredible, but not a lot of people are really aware that the deaf community has its own culture, right? I think that's where the big gap comes. Plus it has to do, um, with, you know, a hearing ability versus a hearing inability. So I think it is definitely hard to kind of compound those two and comparatively with Spanish. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. That makes sense. I think what you're saying, I can, I can understand from the perspective of the queer community, which a lot of times I think for a straight person, it's hard to understand that like we have our own history, our own role models, our own jargon, our own like favorite coffee shop that is explicitly inclusive, you know, that it's not just being outside of straight culture, but that it's also being inside of queer culture. And similarly, straight people don't have to learn about queer shit. Like I have gone to all the straight movies. I mean, they, you know, now I guess sometimes there might be, there might be some straight people at a queer movie, but like, that's, you know, very fucking new. Um, and I still think that. Definitely. Definitely. It's the same. I mean, honestly, I was just texting actually a group of all my, of all my best friends are all straight guys. And I said, you have to watch the boys in the band. Right. I mean, I love it. And they're not going to understand so much of it. Right. But I think they're really going to try to get it, you know? Uh, But that's so much of the gay queer experience, right. Is, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. So I, I have this show that's, you know, full of gay and queer men. And I'm trying to kind of bring that culture into their world to give them a little bit more exposure. Um, you know, and I think the way that they view the queer community is really as a monolith. Yeah, absolutely. Or not connected necessarily. Because I also think that we talk so much about division in the queer community. And also people make so much fun of the many letters. But I was just listening to... I, I um. I was right. just there you go. I was just listening to a podcast that's called Code Switch and they were talking about the word BIPOC or like the the acronym BIPOC and it's like a, a Latinx woman and a black man and they're talking about whether or not they like it. And then they were interviewing a bunch of people um sociologists whatnot and eventually the sort of thing that they came to is that whether or not people want to identify individually as something different, the collective experience makes us care about each other. So being part of a larger acronym gives us um, a desire to protect everyone in that group. And I, I don't know what that experience is like for deaf people. Is, is there a world where 
other folks with disability, like that it's, that it's, that there's a clustering there or a community there? Definitely. It's, it's definitely interesting to consider, um, you know, I mean, I'm 31 now, <laughs> but there was a time when I was, when I was 25, right? And, and, you know, the first 25 years of my life, I grew up and I, I would say, I'm not disabled. I'm not a part of this disability community. That's, it's a completely different world, you know, for me. But, you know, the more I met people and, and the more I really started to realize, you know, it, it became my own kind of understanding of my own identity, right? There are different accessibility needs, certainly in the greater, you know, disability category than, than there might be specifically for deaf and hard of hearing people. Um, but, you know, it's it's really like internalized ableism that I was experiencing forever, hmm. you know, and and wanting to really kind of disconnect from that ability or from that uh, from that greater group. It really, really, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't contentious by any means, but I needed it reframed for me to understand, you know, that there is this much larger community that can band together and, and like you said, protect one another and support one another, or at least advocate for one another. In the different hard of hearing community, we certainly have... Um, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're very inclusive, obviously, of all sorts of deaf people, but we have a category that we would consider deaf plus, right? Um, which would mean deaf with an additional disability. Um, trying mm. to think of, I think it's DBTHHTHH. I mean, we've got, we've got some acronyms as well, which essentially means deaf, deaf blind, um, deaf and hard of hearing. Uh, you know, we definitely have have the acronyms and which exist in our world in order to, you know, show inclusion of everyone and show that we're kind of a larger collective. Yeah. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I think I can make this make sense. Something else that I... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get excited. Something else that I uh, am curious about is specifically being a person who is who has received attention for their physical beauty and then having something that might make it create a barrier for the hearing community to access you because like there's a world where if you're you know if you're modeling if you're somebody who's getting a lot of attention for their physical beauty you're being commodified you're being um objectified and then there's this thing that sort of puts you in another category that is like, that requires accommodation, that that puts um, the onus on a hearing person to give a shit about something about you. And I, I guess I just would imagine that maybe that is some confusing messaging because it's superficial. Well, attention. you know, 
Definitely. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, definitely as a model, um, you know, it, it felt like an easy way out, right? <laughs> you know, um, as, you know, as, as somebody who did get a lot of attention for, you know, the, the physical aspect, which, you know, might have been perfect. Um, I think, you know, my individual disability was really a challenge to people and their depth, right? I mean, modeling for me often felt like show up, watch the flashes, leave, right? But, you know, I was able to change a lot of minds of hearing people who perceived me as, you know, a deaf person or, you know, just the deaf community in general as this, as this sort of monolith. You know, I'm somebody who now is able to, um, you know, sell TV shows, right, and produce TV shows. And that, I think, um, you know, really goes against exactly what they, you know, the hearing community in general would expect of me, which is to stay in the modeling lane, right? You know, it's, it's definitely something that they're not used to. Um, and I think it kind of calls out their own bullshit, right, when they, <laughs> when they see that. And they want to say, well, you should have stayed in the modeling lane. And it's like, why? Why? Because I'm deaf and it was just physical? Um, you know, it, it was very quick for me to realize that, you know, modeling, while I really enjoyed the impact that I was able to make, was very limiting, if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. I'm also curious because I know you are, well, I watched uh, the trailer for Deaf You, which is the show that's coming out about Galadag. Yeah. And then I also know that you have some other shows that you're developing that I think are in the scripted world, right? I do. Yeah. So uh, I also have a feature film coming as well, uh, which is really thrilling. Um, but really, you know, uh, once I once I found my career here, I, I realized I'm incredibly lucky and I'm very blessed, but it does come with a burden to shoulder, right? It's, you know, it was a few years of of really having to behave myself and be, you know, the good boy that represents the deaf community very well, and I have to be very well behaved. And later I just felt like, you know, I can't be the only one out here doing this work, right? We needed more people. I mean, obviously, I'm I, I'm happy and I'm very thrilled to do it, right? I'm a deaf person who's a part of the LGBTQ plus greater community, but we need more diversity in Hollywood than just that, right? We need more inclusion than just that and more representation. And deaf you felt like a real way through that. You know, to go to Gallaudet and to be on campus and to see the the beautiful diversity that makes up our um, our world, whether they come from different backgrounds or different regions or different places in the world with different sign languages, you know, different levels of using ASL. I really wanted to show the breadth and the depth of our community and the beauty that is within there and also stretch the meaning of what it is to be deaf and who falls into that category. And it kind of comes right. down to like, who can say within our microcosm, Right. You know, I mean, we're, we're definitely this, you know, uh, this much smaller subgroup that has our own, our own culture and our own norms and mores. But, you know, I really wanted to show kind of the diversity and, and I'm so thrilled to be able to do that. And it feels like I'm able to kind of pass a little bit of the burden to others and that we can kind of share that, share in that fight. Right. I, I also will say just as a hearing person watching that show there, I mean, just the trailer for Deaf You, um, you know, the inclusion of well, not the inclusion, watching ASL, I don't actually get that much opportunity. You know, it's not, I, I actually right. don't have deaf right. friends. Certainly my interaction is with interpreters. Um, and that's an outward interaction, right? Like they're next to me, not facing me. I'm not interacting with that person. Um, and so I think that for, right. just for me, I, that was something I was struck by is that it's always helpful to be able to see the thing or to be able to experience the thing. Um, 
if it's not something that is in your daily life. And I think I'm also curious if your are your scripted shows going to include ASL as well, like if they were to be made. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm uh, I'm leading in one of the scripted shows, um, and we uh, have several um, possible deaf roles that we're working in currently. Um, but yeah, our leading language will be American Sign Language. Uh, it's similar to um, like Parasite Director, for example, um, uh, Boon Jong, who uh, in in his speech, you know, essentially he said, "Well, if if you can't, you can't, right?" And you know, if that's the measure. Right. And, and we feel the same way. I mean, we would much rather provide this language to the outside world and, and, you know, really give hearing people kind of a, a glimpse into it. Right. I mean, everyone accepts narcos with just subtitles. Right. I mean, they're Absolutely. speaking Spanish and, and hearing, uh, English speakers, you know, are happy with that. So I'm sure they'll be accepting of ASL in the same way. It's a nice challenge to the yes. audience. Yeah. I, I actually completely agree. I think we are there, like just in general as a, as a TV watching culture. I think that we're at the place where right. it's Definitely. exciting. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, it took me 31 years of my life of watching TV with captions and never complaining one bit, right? It's like, come on, guys, yeah. it's your turn, <laughs> right? This is a two-way street. Yeah. Actually, I mean, it's it's also, it's wild just how much stuff I have missed in my own life. I was staying, I was at a hotel, I think, and when I turned on the TV, it was set to descriptive captioning which I had never encountered before. Um, and it made me un- like, it just, I, so I, I left it on and I watched like for the, however many days I was in town doing shows, I left on description, descriptive right. captioning, which is for, for um, folks who are blind it or, or can't see right. while right. what's going on on screen. They're describing what's going on. Right. I will Mostly, say, yeah. yes. Right. Um, anyway, it was a, and I, I kept watching Law and Order, which first of all is also like a great thing to hear described because terrible things were coming out of this person's mouth who had to describe what was on TV. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it could be funny in a lot of ways, definitely. There's a lot of humor, I'm sure, in audio description on the TV. Um, it was, it's it was, funny. A lot of my captions I look at and I'm like, the words they use are so bizarre or just, you yeah. know, way above what they're, what they're really going for. You know, I mean, in fact, you know, there's just, there's so much, there's so much comedy there, right? You know, I mean, hearing people grow up with, uh, with English and, and they become proficient over time. So, you know, of course, some of these, some of these words get kind of up there, but I'm sure it's a, I'm sure it's a great experience to see that in audio description. I can't imagine the humor. Well, right. I mean, I think actually more so my experience was realizing how, how desensitized to violence I was because it was like a person's head is bashed in on screen. And I was like, oh, I just take that for for granted. Um, but but I will just say that it was it was a very cool experience. Um, right. You know, and I watch I actually I always watch television with captioning on. I do. I don't know why that is true. I think sometimes I don't want it to be that loud. Um, and so I watch it always that way. Um, and I do think that, like, I think we're ready for, for any show that you might create that has a lot of hand, that has a lot of, um, I was also thinking about you saying that you use a lot of hand gestures and you grew up in a Sicilian family that to me would feel actually antithetical. I'm from an Italian household and I would imagine that maybe Italian culture and ASL would not work well together because there's so much that is provided. Definitely. Definitely. It's like a double whammy. Yeah, <laughs> opposing forces, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
great. I think, you know, uh, a lot of people assume that, uh, you know, my family all being deaf, my house is really quiet, but we don't actually realize how much noise we make because right? we can't hear a lot of a lot of what's going on. So whether it's washing dishes or, um, you know, closing cupboards or slamming doors, we just, you know, we don't hear kind of, you know, a light, a light close versus a slam, right? We just don't have really any gauge for it. So it's very, very, very loud. Plus you add in the fact that we're all Italian and our hands are always flying. I mean, oh, it scares a lot of hearing people away. <laughs> well, I, to that, to that point, you know, another thing that is exciting about these shows that you're talking about or the work that you're doing now is that I would imagine it also would be helpful for there to be um, deaf or hard of hearing folks or people who are fluent in ASL working elsewhere um, in the crew, you know, obviously in the in the writer's room. I just think it's oftentimes if, if you're not in the entertainment industry, when a new thing is introduced, right. you think about the people that are on camera and not necessarily the people that are behind the scenes. But having had the opportunity to create a show myself, I right. prioritized hiring queer folks, you know, and that is something that that all at, at all levels and because I could. And I would also imagine that it would actually benefit, you know, it would benefit the show for there to be right. people working on it who can communicate well with the stars, with the people who are on camera. And so it's it's a really great cascading effect where when you're in charge, it's not just right. that you are in camera. It's not just that you are in the room, but it's also who you might know and the resources that you might be able to provide for other folks who are working in the industry. Definitely. Definitely. It's funny that you mentioned that, um, you know, uh, shows easily become so much better once you bring in perspective of those with the lived experience people who can really understand it. That's how you make amazing TV. You hire people who are from that community. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, you know, my experience growing up, I, I always watched, you know, TV and movies. And, you know, there were deaf people periodically on screen. But it was always one deaf person in a movie, right? It was always one deaf person in a TV show. Yeah, it was always and it Marley was always <laughs> the same. It was always the same type of deaf person. There was no storyline. There was There was nothing. It was just, you know, this this one kind of uh, trope, right? <clears throat> you know, you would see they would often pan away from the sign language and, and cut in the middle of a, of a, you know, conversation. And so, you know, I would have to read the captions to understand what somebody using my language on TV was saying because wow. hearing editors didn't understand like, okay, we've got to wait or find a creative way to reframe how the signing is actually working so that they can finish the sentence, you know, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, there's a lot of humor in that now looking back, but you know, for Deaf U, that was something that I was I was really proud to change. We made sure that we hired everyone from the story team to the crew to the talent, everyone at a minimum of 50% Deaf people, right? I mean, of course, the goal is 100%, but, you know, we're building. We're building from the Deaf community and people who have had those lived experiences. And I'm very, very, very proud to say that that we, you know, made that show with, with half the hearing world and half of the Deaf world coming together and, and creating that project. And I'm hoping that, you know, it'll be my little empire someday, but yeah. Right. Well, I, I spoke over you for a moment and said, yes, it is always Marley Matlin that is on television. And I think that I just think about her as being so right. First of all, she's amazing, but she's also, um, right. Long been the example for the entire community. And she is a deaf person who speaks. So also that right. um, is right. its own thing. 
right? Because if Definitely, that's the person- it's a very different experience. Right, right. And, you know, of course, you know, no intention to say that, you know, that different experience is by some, by some, uh, you know, way negative in, in any way, but everyone has their own, um, you know, experience within the deaf community. And, you know, we have a really large demographic with a lot of variation to it. Right. And, and, you know, growing up, I went to deaf schools and I had come from, uh, from a deaf family. Um, Marla Mellon, I believe, um, she became deaf, I want to say, sometime around mm. like three. Um, her family's hearing. She went to a mainstream program. So her lived experience is much different than mine, um, making her, you know, not the not the representation that I would expect to see of myself on screen, right? But she definitely shows that other slice of the community. And I always I always say there is no one right way to be deaf, which I think is really important. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Also, and you know, that's just to add, I mean, that's also why deaf you is really important for me because mm -hmm. it shows this beautiful diversity from language fluency levels to, um, you know, whether they came from a deaf school or a hearing program or, you know, their communities or local, uh, you know, their local hometowns, they all come into Gallaudet University where, you know, some people are from, you know, deaf schools, some people are from mainstream programs and, you know, they are showing up ready to learn. Um, ready to pick up the language, you know, but everyone has this, has this different story. You know, I remember when I came into Gallaudet, I met a, uh, another um, deaf student who didn't know any sign language, had gone through, um, you know, school and had, had tried a little bit here and there, but, you know, wasn't really, you know, signing and, and wasn't really aware of our culture and just thought, well, he'll come to Gallaudet and he'll just pick it up. But, you know, within four years, he really had become the embodiment of our, of our culture, you know? Um, and, you know, he was living 10 minutes away from uh, from Gallaudet and didn't really know anything about the deaf community or the fact that there was even this large deaf college right up the road just just for him. You know, that there was this whole group in this world of people that was just waiting to welcome him. You know, that I would consider pretty sheltered. But I wanted to shine a light on that because it, it is so important to represent our community. And that is what 95% of deaf kids go through in, in America, right? I mean, I you know, I'm like within the five to 10% category of deaf kids who come from deaf families. You know, most, uh, most kids have hearing parents and they go to mainstream schools. And I really wanted to show that. So that person that you said that came to Gallaudet with no sign language, is that outside of the norm? Like the norm is having some or fluency? Well, I would say that is the norm, to be honest with you. That's, that's what 95% of it is, unfortunately. Um, you know, it's really the largest, um, the largest factor in me creating a foundation. Um, I created my foundation, the Nile DeMarco Foundation, to provide deaf kids uh, language access from the first day of their birth because we have a very serious ep epidemic in this country that, you know, kids arrive to the age of five without any language. They're, you know, not able to walk into a kindergarten classroom and, you know, interact with other students and they're just not ready to learn. They can't express themselves or, you know, talk about feelings or, or anything. I mean, it's it's really unfathomable in many ways. Um, you know, I, I had access to American Sign Language from the day that I opened my eyes, which really shaped my identity. I mean, language gives you the ability to identify who you are. It gives you the, it gives you the ability to understand what you can be and what you're capable of, right? I mean, for me to realize that I'm not straight required language, right? And had I not had access to that early on in my life, I might not have been able to actually understand and shape my identity. It's interesting because often um, we see deaf kids without language typically find themselves without an identity, right? 
which is different than a personality, of course. But um, you know, they they really struggle with their identity much much later um, because they simply don't have the language and the confidence to to really explore that. You know, they had gone through so many years of trying essentially to fit this hearing world that you know was nothing like them. You know, trying to trying to talk or you know, no one really offering them any other way to connect with other human beings sets them up as a as a delay to find out like who am I? Like what can I do? What am I doing? Um, which is it's really, really interesting. That is really interesting. I also want to ask, I think because of the way this this podcast has specifically gone, you have first of all, you're so you're so well spoken, delighted to speak to you. It's a delight to to have you on the show. And I also will say that, um, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Your interpreter, Gray. Hi, Gray. Yeah, I don't even think I said hi to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. uh, I would imagine that, you know, I work in the same industry that you do, um, in some ways. I mean, I also have, it turns out I've rarely modeled and often done stand up comedy, but other than that, a lot of overlap. And one thing that is really, yeah, one thing that's really true is, you know, when I walk in a room and I'm trying to sell a show, I'm trying to make myself known, being the center of focus, being able to carry that room is so important. And I don't know what it is like to have an interpreter that is speaking with, you know, anybody that might be in that room. I don't know what that is like to have people direct their attention to someone who isn't you. And I'm curious as right. to, you know, how, how that works for you, what that's like emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, there, there's two major approaches. Um, you know, one is uh, to have an interpreter, right. Who's in the room with you. Right. And always behind the hearing people. Right. Which I'm always at the front of the room and hearing people are behind, which means they're listening to the voice coming from behind them, but they have no choice but essentially to look at me. And it forces them essentially to look at me as opposed to having an interpreter side by side. Right. I think it really sort of loses the purpose in many ways. Um, having an interpreter, you know, in front automatically because of, of the hearing mindset, people will look at the person speaking. Right. You know, and it, and it makes it much tough, much tougher to carry the room, as you said. Um, the other approach, which is really my favorite, and uh, is what I do with Gray, is I FaceTime him into a meeting, right? So I put him in front of me on my iPad, and I sign, and it's cool because it's just me in the room, right? I don't have to worry about anybody looking at another person. Oh, right, of course. I mean, like this is. A helpful technology right. to you. This technology Absolutely. that's new to it's me much easier. is a helpful technology to you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, because I have... So we're in a Zoom room where, like, my producers are here, but they turn off their cameras. And then Gray is here in my um, group of people, but I've pinned your video because I did, you know, want to be looking at you because you're who I'm speaking to. But I right. really do see that's great. that... That's you know, exactly, that this is something... exactly what it's supposed to be like. Yeah. Right. Oh, wow. Thanks, Zoom. Thanks, Zoom, for already being <laughs> a great technology for you. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Um, you know, technology has really made it much easier to be deaf in many ways. Um, you know, obviously being somebody from a fourth generation family, all of us love being deaf, of course, but it's interesting to see how my parents and grandparents and great grandparents, their experiences has been so different, 
right? With each generation, there was different technology, right? I mean, for me, I, I you know, going through a world without, um, you know, access to a phone, I didn't have access to a phone until the sidekick. Do you remember those? The sidekick yes. was the best phone ever. I mean, it was phenomenal. But I didn't really have access to a phone. I think I got it when I was a freshman in high school, maybe. And it's fantastic. It was the first phone that you could really text on. And then, you know, my parents didn't have access to a phone all of their lives until they got a TTY machine, which, you know, looked like a typewriter that you would just stick your phone on and it would, um, you know, make a call to a specific relay operator. You could call other deaf people or, uh, you know, hearing people. Um but, you know, my, my grandparents, they didn't have a TTY, right? They didn't have access to a phone. And they lived in, you know, Brooklyn and Queens. So, you know, they'd have to get on the train, go to a deaf friend's house and, you know, ring their doorbell so that the lights would flash. And if no one was home, they would leave a note or they'd try the next day, right? Oftentimes we would leave, a ne- you know, a note that said, hey, I was here. I'm not anymore, but I'll be here tomorrow again at seven, you know, and they'd have to get back on the train and go all the way home. Right. And, you know, the people come home and they're like, oh, we missed them. So now, I mean, I can send one text and be like, you home? All right, I'm on my way. It's great. Wow. Instead of having to go through all that work. So it's really changed our experience. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's also, it's beautiful to be able to do this interview with you. Like, I'm so, I'm so excited that this, that this worked and that we had a way to do it. I know that I, 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 so I used to work in special ed before, before all of this stuff. And I, and I worked with um, middle schoolers. And so some of them were kids who like had cerebral palsy. They had, they were nonverbal and they were getting their first Dynavox, their first computer that was then going to create speech for them to be able to interact with the world. And then we would be going on field trips to see if those kids could order their own ice cream at an ice cream store or something that they had never previously done because somebody was always speaking um, for them. And these are kids that also, they're not speaking at ASL. Right. They're generally nonverbal before getting this because also hand control is not a thing that was, that was accessible or possible for them. And so I do know, you know, just from that experience, some familiarity with what you're talking about, the moment where somebody's able to communicate for themselves. I, f- I feel like I can't believe that's something I've seen in my life. But that moment of transition between... It's very empowering. Very empowering. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful to see. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting as well that uh, most technology um, has been invented by disabled people, specifically for their own empowerment of their own experience. And that typically leads to a more broader use and and the public using it uh, the same way that we see in, like, universal design. For example, FaceTime, Right. FaceTime, you know, isn't a new concept for deaf people. We were using FaceTime a long time ago. You know, we used to video chat through webcams and what are called video phones. So, you know, but for hearing people, it's very new, right? Captions, same thing. You know, a lot of people love captions, but we were using them before hearing people ever really saw a purpose in that. So, you know, I feel like, you know, people just in general from uh, the disability community really have driven that innovation. You know, which is, which is great. Well, thank you to the deaf community because I would not have su- survived the pandemic without FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Niall, mm-hmm. before I send you back into your day, I always have folks shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you can be who you are today. Will you shout out a queero? 
Ooh, am I queero? That's a good one. Hmm. <laughs> Ooh, interesting question. Um, oh, you're putting me in the spot. Let's see. It's funny because, you know, having to choose one, I mean, <laughs> I always talk so much about how, you know, there's there's no representation of, of deaf people in Hollywood, but uh, you know, and and having to look up to it's funny that the focus of this question is more on someone who would be hearing. Um, I would have to say my queero would probably be somebody who's not quite well known, um, but a very good friend of mine within the deaf community who is incredible and inspires me every day. His name is Tate. Um, he's much like me. He came out much later. Um, and, you know, that was one of my first realizations that maybe I wasn't straight. He had kind of paved the way for me to understand that I could be something more than just deaf. I had always felt that they were really sort of mutually exclusive and that I, I would have to pick one. But um, Tate really helped me discover that and kind of stretch the the model that I was living in. Um, and I, I mean, he's not all that well known, but I'd say Tate. It's a tough oh, one. People, people do their family members or... Yeah. I mean, you, we need more representation, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Well, I think that sometimes, it, like you're saying, it doesn't have to be the most impactful to the most people it just has to be the most impactful to you and that can be that can be a lot of that can be that can be your buddy that can be your friend because <laughs> that that shit does yeah. matter it's proximity yeah sometimes definitely definitely and i would say you know my other queero um probably would be cello man who's a really good friend of mine um if you if you've heard of cello man i i just i love him so much i love everything that he is um, how he embraces himself and the layers to his identity. And so many times I, I look at that and I think, wow, I really, you know, the language that he had at 18 years old to really, um, you know, be able to approach that in a way that, you know, the media could see, I mean, was really incredible. So yeah, Tate and Chella. Yeah. I, well, it, it's, yeah, Chella's a super cool person to encounter just through the way I've encountered him, like just the internet. And I will, you know, I will also say that, that I think that I'm sure that this person has told you that you're, that you're impactful because I also will say that that's another thing that's really wonderful about, for me, meeting people that are in the queer community is that we get to impact each other. I, I, does that make sense? It's like the person who's the most inspirational for me is often somehow been able right. to tell me that I'm, I'm inspirational to them. I think that's something that's so specific Definitely. and beautiful about our community and that works even more, we, the more layers you have in common. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah. You yeah. definitely push each other. We're all just walking each other home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's so important. I mean, you know, the things that are so important to put out there, right. You know, that maybe people don't understand or, or still, you know, lacking some kind of understanding of and in, in finding their own language to be able to push one another. You know, it helps us mobilize and, and really function as as a community, right? Of a group within our within our own respective communities. It's wonderful. You're right. Now it was truly so nice to speak with you. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Thank you so <laughs> and much. And your for shirt is me. so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely love to do this again. Thank you so much. I, yeah. I love this shirt actually. I um yeah, I bought this uh, at kind of a random place. It was great. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you.